0: Hi, welcome to episode 11 of the Baseball from Home podcast. I'm Connor McKnight. He's Joe Brand, and we're brought to you by the House of L Podcast Network. I've been covering baseball for radio stations in Chicago the last 10 years. Joe has been broadcasting minor league baseball for the last nine and covers the White Sox and the Cubs for WGN Radio. You can find us both on Twitter. I'm at C1McKnight. He is at Joe underscore Brand1. Two first place teams to talk about this weekend. Uh, some fun stuff, some not so fun stuff, some injuries, and trade rumors all over the place. I usually love the deadline, Joe, but I got to be honest with you. Save for a couple of rumors, my excitement is tempered some because 2020.
1: A lot of demons returning for this Cubs team we're finding, and uh, the Sox just continue to be kind of the darling child of the city sports world right now. They they can do no wrong.
0: They can do no wrong. It's crazy. Uh, you can rate and review the pod. We love that. It helps us get the thing moving. Uh, it's not just pure vanity. If you like it and give it five stars, then it you know, spreads it around to other people that you think might like baseball podcasts or um, cooking podcasts. Because if you don't know, that there is, there's a special edition of the podcast we do or, or are going to do uh, about cooking. There's not. Don't look for it. Every show, we cover the Cubs, the White Sox, no particular order. None of this would be possible without David Hochberg and the fine folks at Team Hochberg. Not only would I not have a roof over the head, but they sponsor the House of L Network and our show as well. I used Team Hochberg to help me wrap up the mortgage for my place in Wicker Park. They were absolutely fantastic. I was all over the place, having never purchased a home before, and kind of doing it all on my own. Right, I, my my family's all in other places, so I was able to lean on them for some advice. But most of the advice I got was from my realtor, who I've been friends with for twenty some years, and from Team Hochberg. Every question I had, we're like, yeah, 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 we got you there. Don't worry about this. And every mistake I made, I looked at them and I said, guys, I screwed this up. And they're like, don't. Don't worry about it. We've got your back regardless. No matter what, we've got you. That's what made me so comfortable relying on Team Hochberg. You should do the same. Just give them a call, 855-56-DAVID. Or head to the website at 56david.com. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender, NMLS 1124061. So the Cubs are at 20 and 14. They sit atop the division, 54 and 37.8 is the 2020 math. They split a four-game set with the Reds. They're off Monday and get the Pirates in Pittsburgh on Tuesday night. The White Sox are now tied for first with the Indians in the Central. They are 21-13, 56.7 and 35.1 by 2020 math. They took two of three from the Royals. Both of those wins in exciting fashion. They have the day off Monday as well, and they are in Minneapolis to face the Twins, who I think obviously still matter in the AL Central, right? Just because they're, what are they, like percentage points behind 618 and then 571 for the Twins. We flip the coin, as always, to determine who goes first.
1: And it is tails. The White Sox go first, as well they should. They were due. They were due to finally be the lead story of our podcast. And yes, they are, they are the darling child that Chicago sportsmen have been craving for. Yeah, and they they really are
0: darlings right now. There's very little they're doing wrong. There's some bumps, like always, with, with any baseball team, right? Gio Gonzalez hitting the injured list, all that kind of stuff. But but truly, you know, I'm watching Sunday's ball game and watching Dane Dunning just carve guys up with another, uh, what is it, five-inning run of, of no-hit baseball. James McCann has caught 15 or had caught 15 no-hit innings up to that point. Because he caught Lucas Giolito's no-hitter last week. This is a team that's really cooking. And they didn't play, I think, their their best baseball in Kansas City. Steve Stone and Jason Benetti started the broadcast on Friday just kind of talking about how, you know, it's always tough when the White Sox play the Royals. And I, I listened to Andy and, and DJ some as well. And the same kind of theme was there. Uh, it's always tough when you play the Royals. And I kind of thought, yeah, well... Nobody on this team is old enough, really, to remember the Royals giving him trouble, except for Jose Abreu, and I don't think he's walking around the clubhouse going, hey guys, you gotta watch out for that Nicky Lopez, he's a real bitch in the batter's, like, that's not a thing, and yet, here we were. That was a tougher series than I than I thought it should have been for the White Sox. Two walk-off wins, Grandal on Friday,
1: Luis Robert on Sunday, and it's two for three and in first place. I don't want to be a person that just tries to draw optimism out of absolutely everything. Maybe that's a good trait to have. But in this case, um, I, I am a believer in winning these types of games can develop chemistry with your team and an identity for your team that you might not normally have. Um, it, it's funny because before that series started, there was a little bit of talk like, oh yeah, not, not many walk-off wins for the Sox so far, if, if any at all, I don't think. Um, And Friday's game was just, are you kidding me? What what type of infield blunder like this is going to just ruin the White Sox day? And of course, it's the guy that came back and realized, yeah, I should have seen that a ball was coming towards my legs from Jose Abreu at second base and Yasmani Grandal. I don't get how that happens. I really don't. It it was very bizarre. Uh, I don't see why Jose Abreu made that throw, but it's beside the point because they came away with the win anyway. And I think what Yasmani Grandal said after that game spoke a lot about the team, just saying how... I found it very odd. He said, we know how to lose. Normally it's, we know how to win. But I think what he meant was, and he pretty much clarified it, it's when you lose, you you don't overthink it. You don't get down about it. You move on to the next game. And the Sox have been doing that very well this season. Um, You mentioned how it didn't look like the best three games of the season for the White Sox, but here they are taking two out of three from Kansas City. Kind of feel like that... Home run by Luis Robert to win on Sunday was a microcosm of that. That wasn't the the most astonishing ball hit, but that's just his raw power. That's his raw talent, and that's enough to get on out there. And now you've got Nick Madrigal coming back. You've got, I I don't want to call it a diamond in the rough, but Dane Dunning, hello. Like, what a great package to to have received at this stage in the season. I mean, it's funny how his name got sprinkled along through the trade rumors, and we'll get to that, but i mean man i I don't know how you back down on anything about him anymore
0: no he's he's looked much better than i thought and and not just with the fastball command being where it is, um which I still think has some room to grow, but his breaking stuff is much better than I remember him pitching with uh, back when he was with the minors, granted I was you know around when he was working high a and double a kind of stuff and was really getting along being an advanced guy for that level. Working fastball command, and then just sprinkling off speed when when he knew he was ahead of hitters, kind of thing. So I thought, you know, most of that is just kind of, um, you know, his success with the brain game rather than just pure stuff. But shoot, he he seems to really have the stuff to back up his know how. Um, you mentioned Luis Robert in the in the home run there. He he nearly got one out of the ballpark in his in his at bat prior to winning the thing, just on a fastball where I think he got fooled some but managed to pull his hands inside and get mu- some of the barrel on the baseball. He flew out to the warning track opposite way, nearly got it, and, and that's on a uh, kind of swing. You know, when we were like, oh, I just kind of threw my hands, I, t- I pulled my hands back in, and kind of threw the barrel at it, and, you know I don't know what happened. I, the, the kid is just able to do some crazy, crazy things. And sure, you know, we've, we've talked about the warts before, but um, you mix that kind of pop with the defense he's played, and there's there's a reason where Timmy Kirchin is on with Scott Van Pelt in a late night Sports Center over the weekend saying, "I know the Dodgers are great. I, I you know why? Who would who would ever pick against him? But if I had to pick an everyday lineup, Tim Kirchon said this: If I had to pick an everyday lineup to go out and just have fun with, see what happens, and go forward next couple of seasons, he'd pick the White Sox. Luis Roberts as big a part of that as anybody.
1: Yeah, and that even goes to say with like you mentioned the warts, I mean, we've talked about Luis Robert showing some blemishes of, of chasing pitches a little bit more. I still feel like that is a result of maybe him just being overconfident and, and not in an egotistical way, just a guy that, I can do this, I can get these pitches, I can make these adjustments, I can get these guys, because he kind of did it right out of the gate. Now you've, you're finding the league figuring out a better way to pitch to him and maybe expose him a little bit more, but he's still got that raw talent, that raw power, those quick hands, and a just great vision at the plate. People were throwing around a Mike Trout comp right away, and it's like you hate to do that. You hate to put that on a guy. A-
0: Aloy Jimenez. Aloy Jimenez was throwing around the Mike Trout comp. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't just like guys in Section 108 going,
1: that guy's Mike Trout. It, it was Aloy Jimenez. But the the thing is, it's like... Okay, you kind of get it. Like, I'm not gonna put down on paper right now. Luis Roberts, the next Mike Trout, but you got a five-tool player. You got a jacked dude. I mean, what do they call him? The the mannequin. He just yeah. he fits the bill. Obviously, it's a small sample size, but he still fits the bill. And I I have yet to see other than. A little bit of a increased chase rate after a few weeks in the major leagues. I mean, that that's not enough to convince me that this cannot be the case for the guy.
0: There was a, uh, you know, in, in that game on Sunday, a couple of things went by the wayside for the White Sox, and I was kind of surprised to see it. I was sitting on the couch, and Tim Anderson had the puck on his stick a couple of times in that game. I think he had, uh, what was it, five, six run, le- runners left on base? He took an offer, did not have good at bats, you know, and I I you can kind of tell. White Sox fans can kind of tell the difference between a Tim Anderson at bat that doesn't go his way, but he knew what he was doing up there and one where he's just a little bit lost and behind in the count and he was. Um but boy, that, that's re- that hasn't happened more than once or twice this season. Tim Anderson has been spectacular and even when he's up there with the offer, um and his last situation of the day, that stat line underneath is 330 370 you know five something and and man is that is that impressive to see I mean if you look at the Chirons the lower thirds of all these guys stats that come up there you really kind of understand that that there's there's a lot of depth to this lineup in a in a very scary way not just like oh these guys are all having good years you saw what they did with the Cubs you saw the power they flashed they, they set a team record for Homers hit in a month at 51 I mean that's that's a lot of bombs.
1: It's funny you bring up the Cubs because that's the last time Tim Anderson had an O for a game against the Yu Darvish game on on the series finale. But you know who didn't have a bad game from the Sox offense? Obviously Jose Abreu, but that's he was inhumane that weekend, or inhuman, I should say. <laughs> he was inhuman. He was, that weekend. He was inhumane to U Darvish. <laughs> he was inhuman. Um, I I honestly think this this has got to go a lot of credit to Tim Anderson just because this is year two of him doing it. When he took the step last season, it was, okay, this is a product of a lot of hard work and a lot of adjusting with what he was doing at the plate. A lot of homework and, and just a lot of somewhat betting on yourself, but... A lot of times you see players that are only able able to do that for one year. They're kind of a one-hit wonder. But the fact that he's consistently doing this and he's following up on it. And, I mean, hey, we know Tim Anderson is a confident guy. We know he likes oh, to yeah. talk. So it's really cool when he can back it up because then you like a guy like that all the more because there's a reason for why he's talking and now he's using his stick to do the talking, which is exactly what he's coined it before. Um, I, I, just, I, I think he compliments this White Sox lineup how you said so deep. I mean, this is a song we've been singing all year, but it's just really showing itself right now. Because even if a guy has an off day like Tim Anderson, they don't feel out of a game. And that's what Yasmani Grandal said after the walk-off homer on Friday. I mean, this is just a lineup that knows how to work pitchers right now, knows how to work at-bats, and find some production even after they are retired from the, from the at bat.
0: So let's talk a little bit about that rotation because apparently Rick Hahn's talking with others uh, about that rotation. First off, the White Sox did make a trade for Gerard Dyson. They traded some international bonus money around for it, and I, I'll be honest, Joe. I have tried to keep track of where the deadlines are for this season's international spending and nexts, but they've been pushed and pulled so many times because of COVID, which which makes sense. That I, it's basically general managers and then their special assistants. And probably, I don't know, J.J. Cooper at Baseball America, who understands when the hell any of this actually ends or starts over again. So we'll leave that for another pod or smarter reporters. Suffice it to say, I, I don't know, Gerard Dyson's there, and we'll do Gerard Dyson things. And as long as Ricky doesn't put him in a lineup on any regular basis, I think everybody's fine with it, right? I mean, you've got larger rosters. You should have more options Gerard Dyson is an interesting tool to have on the base paths late, and we saw that in Sunday's game. Even though his base running didn't necessarily matter, because Luis Robert went ahead and hit one four hundred feet. However, with Gio Gonzalez going down on the injured list, what this rotation right now is is I, I, to me, it's it's kind of what it's always been. It's Gio and Keiko, and then some stuff. You know, some stuff with potential in Dylan Cease and Reynaldo Lopez. And I guess I never, I mean, truth be told, I don't think I ever really was able to, in my head, count on Carlos Rodon for being a big part of the rotation in 2020. I had, I guess I'd hoped for it, but never really did that math. Um, and then whatever Dane Dunning has shown you has been terrific. But according to Bob Nightingale, the White Sox had some chats and and he terms it like some fairly high level chats or some interesting and, and compelling conversation with the Cleveland Indians of all teams about Mike Clevenger of all arms with maybe Michael Kopech being involved in that conversation. Clevenger going one way, maybe Kopech and some other pieces. I think Adam Engel was another player that got mentioned in Nightingale's report going, going to Cleveland. This hits me as the kind of stuff you do on MLB The Show when you're hanging out late playing PlayStation. Not not something that actually gets talked about. Definitely something that doesn't get talked about in 2020.
1: It's astounding how if these trade rumors were brought up, heck, let's say seven months ago, and not even talking about the whole COVID situation, like totally put that aside. If you were to tell White Sox fans, yeah, they were going to make a trade with Cleveland and they were... Thinking about getting rid of Michael Kopech and hanging on to Dane Dunning, throwing around something like that might have gotten you punched in the face. Um, but it's totally different now. Clearly, we don't know all the particulars about anything. Um, I'm, I'm still having difficulty wrapping around my head why Cleveland would be willing to trade with the White Sox and make them better when they're... I mean, right now, they're the prime competitor tied for first place. Um, I get that they need outfield help. Uh, their outfield offense is is nothing special right now, and the White Sox have that, but I don't know if they'd be giving up that. Okay, if you're giving up Adam Engel, I I guess I understand that. Um, But the fact that Mike Clevenger is being tossed around, I mean, is this a thing that they're willing to deal with him because of what happened earlier this year, and maybe he's a guy in the clubhouse they're just okay with moving right now? Would you say
0: that? Yeah, I mean, he's he's always been. I mean, Clevenger comes with a reputation of being his own man, but not necessarily getting in the way of everybody else while he's doing it. Right? I mean, he's not. I at, at least that's that's my understanding of Mike Clevenger. You know, as an operator from within a clubhouse, the the Indians, though, from my perspective, are ownership wants to sell. Ownership isn't going to spend money. They announced that. I mean, quite literally. The owner of the Cleveland Indians two years ago at an off season um, conference with with fans. I don't think it was their, I don't think it was their fan convention, but it was something like that or something leading up to it. I think, basically, just said, "Well, you should all enjoy Francisco Lindor while you can, because ain't nobody around here paying that kind of money for that good a ball player." And I at the time I thought, Jesus, you know what a what a rough thing for a fan base to have to absorb from ownership, right? Like, it's one thing to end up having to trade Francisco Lindor if that's where you get. It's another thing for your owner to be calling a shot two years before, three years before it even has to happen. Red Sox fans had to deal with something similar in trading away Mookie Betts, but at least it wasn't, you know, it was it was three months of hand-wringing and do we do this or do we not. It wasn't two years of impending doom watching your guy knowing that he's going to have to go, right? I don't know if it's the same for Clevenger. He's 29, a little bit of a later bloomer. He's still got two years of team control left. 2021 and 2022 would be arbitration years for him. And cost shouldn't concern you if you're a White Sox fan. The roster you've put together allows you to go ahead and pay all kinds of money to all kinds of players, so don't worry about that at all. I would just be surprised if Rick Hahn's actually really in on this, given that, that Michael Kopech... Has four or five years of control left, depending on what happens with his Super Two stuff and what rules kind of change once you get a new CBA. I, who the hell knows what's going to happen there and what gets grandfathered into a new agreement. But I, you know, he's always talked about keeping the long term. Rick has not Kopac about keeping the long term in focus here, and I just I don't know. It would be so surprising for me for them to deal. Michael Kopech, when he was such a big part of their their next rebuild, for a guy with two years' control left, it's it would be bizarre for me.
1: I'd, I'd agree with you. Um, I, I guess the whole confusion of of Cleveland wanting to make a move with one of their division competitors is me thinking. You know, why not just go for it all in this weird 2020 season that we have that's condensed into 60 games? And when you get off to the start like Cleveland does, I mean, why not just kind of play with house money? Like, hey, this is this is what's happened. But but yes, you're right. It's, it's better for them if they know that they're not going to spend money to get some assets out of the particular players they have right now. Um, it's tough. It's tough for White Sox front office staff right now because, I mean— the rotation is, is the underlying issue, right? I mean, it's, it's the only thing that they can't really rely on other than, like you said, Giolito and Keichel. Also, side note, the question you brought up the last time we talked, who do you want for Game 1 for the playoffs, Giolito or Keichel? I think we should assess that question every podcast now. Oh, oh yeah, sure, sure, because it's Giuliano. <laughs> I think so too. I, I, I kind of regret that. Well, well, you pose it as what would you think Rick Renneria would do? So we can do that. That's we right. We can play both those games, though. Um, but, but I guess that's why the Lance Lynn deal would have more legs in my mind. Um, but man, I mean, Dane Dunning, you, you talked about how good he looked today. It's not just that. I mean, it's just he's he's attacking the strike zone and I'm really digging just the dude's confidence and demeanor even in the post game like he just seems very well put together about him his stuff and just basically his presence in in a major league rotation because right now he's proving it and I, the dude is is a monster so like you if- He's a smart cookie too like I he he really
0: gets what it is that he's trying to do to get as many outs as he can and he's gotten that from a very young age. Uh, well, I should say from, you know, from from go with the White Sox organization, right? I, I think they took his plan, melded it with theirs, and really kind of came to an understanding of here's here's how you're going to go get hitters. Yeah, and he was on board with that right away. You you mentioned Lance Lynn. Uh, a lot of people were speculating that since his next start for the Rangers, I, I should say at the beginning of the weekend. He was going to start for the Rangers on, what was that, Friday night? It's the 30th. Oh, okay, so yeah, so Saturday night. He did. He spun six and gave up three earned. He struck out six. He gave up the one homer. Uh, he walked three as well, one of the worst starts for Lynn um, this season. Who's He's had a good year, and I think the idea around that is, right, you've got your 33-year-old guy who's a pending free agent, and the cost would be a little low. I'd kind of assumed we'll, we'll get into what else has happened in the trade deadline here as we go, but I kind of assumed that the most moving things were, were going to be arms. Um, what what with this twenty twenty pandemic, uh, and and because of that, I, I kind of thought they'd be expensive because I didn't think many would move in the first place. I I'm a little surprised that we haven't heard uh, more more concentrated discussion around Lance Lynn or a Lance Lynn like figure and the White Sox because getting a little bit of rotation help would be good for them. You know, I mean, it's, yes, Dane Dunnings looked great, but, you know, you could just watch him on Sunday's game. He's he's not ready to go six, seven innings yet. Um, and I mean that from more of a pitch count standpoint, right? Like, okay, so now you're in the fourth, and maybe he's not having that great day. Can you get him out of the fourth with the pitch load that he's working with or not? You know, and what does that do for you the rest of the series? You gotta get into that bullpen early. Yeah,
1: I mean that that does complete the White Sox team with with I guess another veteran arm in that rotation. But like you've said before, somebody that can eat up some innings. Gio Gonzalez was hopefully going to be that person. He somewhat has kind of been, but you can't really rely on him right now because right now on the injured list. He's dabbled in the bullpen. I still like how they have them, have him as that weapon, but you're just kind of making a decision on Gio Gonzalez after what Reynaldo Lopez has done or how he's feeling. And now we're kind of seeing that with Dylan Cease, too, who just continues to have some of the same problems with either location or a flat fastball or maybe a combination of the two. So it's just guys like Cease and Lopez are such wild cards. That's what makes it... Such a glaring image of the White Sox rotation, but but man, I mean that it's that's a good problem that it's not a good problem that they have right now. That's kind of their only problem right now, which is great for White Sox fans.
0: Um, elsewhere on the uh, trade deadline market, you know, it's going to be it's Monday, Monday afternoon. I I really like Trevor Rosenthal to the Padres. Their bullpen's been trash for for most of the season. And Rosenthal's been very good. Uh, all of his comments have been centered around how healthy he feels for the first time in like four or five years, which all checks out given the spin rates and numbers he's been able to put up. That makes them a little bit more dangerous, but I don't know that it necessarily, you know, San Diego is, is kind of like, are, are kind of like the White Sox, right? I mean, it's it's a dynamic lineup with some pretty decent starting pitching that could get better even in this season, right? I mean, Chris Paddock for them is a little bit like Dylan Cease for the White Sox in that it's there. We've seen it before, more or less. Paddock a little bit older, um, and could snap himself back together. Could get himself going this year, but yeah, we'll see. That lineup's going to take them through. Cut copy paste for the Chicago White Sox. Do you expect you know anything large? I mean, it, it it's it's weird that. So far in the trade rumors, Mike Clevenger's kind of the biggest name being floated around, and the White Sox are
1: center of that diamond. Yeah, I, I agree, because you don't expect teams to give up much because of the uncertainty of the season being completed. I think those thoughts have kind of gone away, though, because we've... Kind of really hit the fan lately of all teams coming down with COVID or issues, and we're still playing. Even though I think we went through 24 days of at least one game being postponed because of coronavirus, um, but here we are, a day away from the trade deadline. And yeah, I mean, Lance Lynn is a guy who you maybe thought you would have seen, um, but because of how the Rangers have gotten off to this season, his name is floated around now. Mike Clevenger. Lindor, I, I guess that's still an option out there somewhere, like the guys are maybe going to go after him and it seems like the most likely spot for, for that guy um, I don't know, like, it does kind of bum me out that that a team like Cleveland is is willing to make some moves just for financial reasons instead of going for it this season. Again, just because of what has presented itself this season, nobody knows what the heck's going to happen. I know I have brought up the idea of just removing the trade deadline this year and thinking, okay, here's your team, go, go get them. But I, I just realized that the biggest flaw in that idea is everybody's contract still goes on. So there are players or teams that would get screwed if that were the case.
0: So the Cubs did make a move. They picked up designated hitter Jose Martinez from the Rays. Cubs fan will know uh, Jose Martinez. He hit and hit hard for the Cardinals for uh, two seasons or so, 2017, 2018. Traded to the Rays. He has not had all that great a year in 2020. I was just over on his baseball reference page for the year. 239 329 388 across the board he hits lefties much better well he has hit in his career lefties much better than he's much better than he's hit righties um i don't know i, I picking up Jose Martinez is interesting i i know Theo Epstein had been talking for a while about any move we're going to make is going to be on the cheap so it makes sense that the Rays are the team they're dealing with because a player there is going to be inexpensive and indeed Martinez is i i find it interesting though that you know you're, you're picking up a left-handed hitting platoon dh at this point. Now, Martinez has the capability of being better than that. He has shown that he's better than that, but right now what he's doing is hitting left-handers and dhing. If you put him in the field, something is very, very wrong because the man cannot play defense. He's like a he's like a fish just kind of flapping around on the dock. He's he's absolutely terrible.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd like I'd like to think that this is more than just a a shot in the arm for the team. I I mean, who knows? Maybe he'll go on and be the Nick Castellanos of 2020 for the Chicago Cubs. Funny you bring up the stats. I I was curious how he's done just overall against National League Central teams. He's got some eye-popping numbers. Um, He hits 305 at Busch Stadium in his career. He hits 353 at Great American Ballpark in his career. He hits... 317 at PNC Park in his career. He hits 235 or 239 at Wrigley, and he hits 154 at Miller Park. So they do kind of stray a little bit, but hey, that's that's got to be good for uh, for the Cubs. I I know that what Cubs fans want is someone to help the bullpen right now, but I don't know how many options there are out there for that. But uh, Jose Martinez, I guess, does give you that depth in the lineup that we saw at the beginning of the season that. Maybe if he gets off to a hot start, you take away some of that spotlight from Javier Baez or uh, Anthony Rizzo. I know he's been turning it on lately, but some of the star players that aren't capitalizing, we're still waiting on Chris Bryant to return. But hopefully that does, again, fill up those holes that we have seen from the Cubs' offense this season. They they signed a minor league deal with uh, A.J. Ramos, right, to help the bullpen so far, I guess. I mean, we said a few weeks ago... Theo and Jed are going to have to get creative. So I guess here is the creativity that we're seeing. It's it's going to be an interesting next couple 24 hours, I guess even less now as we record this. Um, but you're going to have to see creative moves because that's basically all that's left for this team. You know what's interesting? You you know, the,
0: the Cubs pick up a platoon bat here, essentially. And the reason they're able to do it, you know, whether you like the move or not, it's it's a guy that maybe lengthens the lineup in some, some particular spots. Um A lot of teams have done this before, right? I'm thinking of guys like Matt Joyce or Cody Ross back in the day with the Giants. These were late moves that ended up paying out huge dividends for playoff teams. And the teams, the Giants, the Rays, the Red Sox, who were able to do this kind of stuff, for the most part, have positions filled or are using a DH. And in a weird way, Kyle Schwarber's ability to play left field the way he has this here... Let's you pick up a bat like this to just kind of mix into the lineup at the DH spot best you can. It's it's crazy to think that in 2020, Kyle Schwarber's defense isn't just meh. It's good enough over meh to let you go. Yeah, yeah, we're we're fine. We're fine. Let's go get another guy who's even worse than Schwarber's. Who, by the way, hit a. Hank shot against the Reds on Sunday.
1: My God, was that last homer a long way out there. Connor, if I'm you, I'm bragging every day, or at least every podcast, how you mentioned that the Cubs are better off with Kyle Schwarber in left field, even though they drafted him to be the DH of the future, even though the National League wasn't prevalent of having a designated hitter at the time. No, um, I, I don't know if I want to go this far just yet, but... I know Cub fans are always wondering the what if about still having Aloy Jimenez on this team. If Kyle Schwarber keeps doing this, it's okay, right? It's it's okay because I I do remember hearing that Kyle Schwarber's name was dangled out there for the White Sox and if you come away from that trade with getting rid of Kyle Schwarber and Dylan Cease, or I'm sorry, yes, yes, that's the case, but you have Aloy Jimenez. So in an, in an alternate world, I'm not saying Kyle Schwarber is better than Aloy Jimenez. I'm not jumping there also yet, but it's it's okay because he's right now he's the player that Theo and Jed signed or rather drafted in 2014. No, um, yeah, I suppose he is. He's hitting better lately.
0: The season numbers are, you know, what would you say bad? <laughs> But, but over the last handful, he's got himself a decent enough stretch where he's slugging 500 and he's been on base. The average is low, but I think Cubs fans are, are understanding of what that means when you're Kyle Schwarber, right? If you're hitting it hard and putting it 75 rows up in right field, like, okay, I, I understand that. I, I think, you know, with, like with so many teams right now, the Cubs feel like they ride the home run as much as everybody, as much as anybody two home runs from each of their outfielders in today's game against Sunday's game against the Reds is a major league first. No one, no team has ever had all three starting outfielders hit two home runs in the same game. Hap, Hayward, and Schwarber all did that. And that just kind of, I don't know, feels like the offense to me. I know though that we, you know, it's it's easy to kind of look at this stuff and and have and deal with the fun parts, but There are some disturbing trends for the Cubs as well. Uh, You know, you you split two of four against the Reds when you definitely had a chance to do better than that. The second half of the doubleheader, where a ball goes five hole on Wilson Contreras from Craig Kimbrell and that whole thing just unspools, had to, I mean, there were, that is unsettling, (laughs) what it is. That is unsettling. And still, Joe, I don't know if, I don't know if you're with me on this. I still don't blame David Ross for trying to work Craig Kimbrell back into as many somewhat safe situations for Kimbrell as, and I said safe too, not save, but safe situations. Because you, I, look, they traded for Jose Martinez. Not an arm, not a closer. They had to go get a platoon bat because that's, what I, that's what's out there and that's what they can afford. They need Craig Kimbrell to do something for them this year in order to get it done. They're
1: not going to give up on him if that's what Cub fans are hoping for. And I agree with the fact that yeah, you you got to keep you got to keep putting him in these spots to succeed because otherwise he's not going to be the Craig Kimbrell that you need him to be. And we thought that we had been seeing him rehabbing himself and I don't mean rehabbing in a in a way of how he was injured, but just Getting back to the type of Craig Kimbrell he should be, I thought we had him, too. But yesterday or Saturday proved to be a little bit different. I will say, he wasn't, no, I I shouldn't say he wasn't erratic, because those wild pitches were just, gosh, almost like he was trying to take grass out of the field. Um, That last pitch, I I could definitely put blame on Wilson Contreras, but that's that's just a a downhill slope of that ninth inning that I don't think they were going to come back from. Um, I don't know if it's just a Cincinnati thing. Clearly, it's not because he has problems elsewhere too. But I, I still remember when he he was imploding in that first game in Cincinnati when Castellanos is down the third base line. It just seemed kind of like a little tick out of his out of his concentration. I mean, he definitely can get in his head. It seems like so. I almost wonder if maybe he's just losing a little edge too. I, I obviously there's the mechanics we talked about. There's the fastball location that he misses on, and again, like he he gets those swings and misses on those fastballs up in the zone, but that that only works when he's locating all his other pitches. When he's all over the place, no one has to swing, and that's what you saw the Cincinnati Reds do, except for the soft single up the middle, and then Jim Deshays played the game of okay with this guy's stance open up. Is it better to just try to buzz something by him? And it, it almost seems like Craig Kimbrell is almost losing. His confidence in what he has because the velocity is is there again. It's it's 97, it's 98, it's not this 96 flatness that we saw earlier. There's there's still little movement to it. It's just trouble with locating it, and it's it's back and forth with this guy so far. Um but again, like you said, they, they can't give up on him. They need him to be Craig Kimbrell. There's not many other options. So yes, I'm okay with David Ross doing that, because he's also put him in his place. He's also pulled him out when maybe Craig Kimbrell has felt that he should stay on the mound. And also, I mean, we're talking about a doubleheader. Jeremy Jeffress was pitching in the day before, so they, he wasn't a viable option at that moment.
0: Yeah, and I, I know a lot of Cubs fans, some Cubs fans were, were asking why Udarvis didn't go ahead and finish that game. They are only playing seven innings. But you could see it was relatively tight at that point, and you could you could see Udarvish deteriorating a little bit there. In the fifth, you saw things get a little loose, and in the sixth, he got out of that by throwing a bunch of very good sliders, but not necessarily well-located sliders. So I think that's a that's an instance where Cubs fans should look at the manager, David Ross, and go, wow, that guy can really kind of pick it up and understand what's coming. Um, it's not Ross's fault necessarily that he's got to pick from either Jeffress or Kimbrell at this point out of the bullpen. Still, though... I As worrisome as the bullpen is, it's been that way since the Cubs started spring training. And I'm talking about the actual spring training. The one where we started things and thought, oh, maybe this won't be a completely messed up year. But it was, and it has been. The most worrisome thing for me still is Javi Baez. And and the reason for that is, is pretty obvious, or at least it should be because if you're going to bash your way to wins and hope that you can give enough breathing room to a bullpen to just kind of not chew through your fingernails in innings 7, 8, and 9, Javi Baez has got to get on track. The OPS Plus is at 68. His on-base percentage is under two. Well, it's 250. And he's slugging under 400. I, I thought that maybe... Um, some things were starting to click for him, some timing things were starting to click for him a little bit against Detroit in the season, uh, the series prior. Um, I know a lot of people who did, and yet at the same time, I don't know that, that for better or worse, that Javi's a guy where it works like that. I mean, it seems like from at bat to at bat, you can get wildly different hobbies, right? Like, even when he's on fire, you can still have an a bat or two mixed in there where it's, slider away, slider away, slider away, and it looks like he's, you know, never held a bat before, and he's still knocking home runs around those strikeouts. And yet that this just this is a troubling thing for them. And at some point you you have to start to ask the question, though the answer's crazy, you have to start to ask the question, what does this mean for the long term of Javier Baez?
1: It's always been Okay, to forgive him when he goes through his struggles because he comes back with an NL player of the week where he bashes three home runs and, you know, slugs to the moon. Um, But we're seeing the type of struggling Javier Baez way too consistently right now. And that series against the White Sox when, you know, he was making fielding errors and his bat was nowhere near the ball, it almost seemed like he just had the same type of swing no matter where the ball was placed, no matter what type of pitch it was. But then that last game on Sunday when he gets the hit before the Schwarber home run, you know he ropes that double down the line. He just seemed to make a little bit of an adjustment. I'm like, okay, maybe this maybe this is how he he figures himself out again. And he comes back and hits the two homers against Detroit. But then he just he he goes back into that and it's it's this thing where I don't know if it's the confidence in his swing that's allowed him to be so good like like not not a Luis Roberts situation just knowing okay i I've had this type of swing and I've had this success before and it's okay if I'm not entirely sure where there's where this pitch is going I have the ability to barrel up the baseball because I have done it before. But I just think you're you're seeing that way too often these days. Now, it's a very similar swing. It's It's not... He's not adjusting. He's not really reading into what pitch is coming. And maybe he is. Maybe it's just a timing thing. But to me, it looks like it's a very similar swing almost every at bat. And it's one of those things... If you do everything the same way every single time and you expect different results, you're going to go insane. So... I think he and Cubs fans are going a little insane. Yeah,
0: it is. Uh, it's frustrating for sure. Oh, and we, you know, uh, the Tyler Chatwood stuff is is interesting too because he left the start complaining of elbow issues, and you know, Joe, I, I um, he left that start exactly how you hate to see it—a uh, uh, pitch that bugged him a little, and then a subsequent pitch where he called out trainers right away. That's never good. I, I thought Jose Quintana looked fine for what it's worth. And throwing him into the rotation is fine for me, if that's what we're talking about. Um, which I, I believe that we are, right? So it leaves the Cubs with, you know, Darvish and Hendricks toward the top of things. John Lester mixes in with whatever John Lester you're, you're getting every five days there. And then it's Alec Mills and Jose Quintana. Um, I feel weirdly okay... With that kind of depth at this point in the season, though, with the complete understanding that that next injury is what Albert Alzalea up to the major leagues for, for big-time starts, and that that doesn't make me super
1: comfortable. It, I, I approach it like the bullpen issue. They really don't have many other choices. I, I think you're just going to have to put Jose Quintana in this rotation, and he will be... Number four, and then number five is between Alec Mills or a healthy Tyler Chatwood or maybe a surging Albert Alzali to to fill it in. Um, I I still like what they have with Alec Mills, a guy that's really trying to really starting to figure some things out about himself. I know his most recent outing wasn't the best, but Jose Quintana's looked good. Like I said, fine, or how you said fine, that's fine. I, I I just think, yeah, what else are they going to do other than put him in the rotation? And I. I think that's that's the best spot for them. That's the best spot for him and that's just what they're gonna have to work with moving forward.
0: How many pitches did he throw in on Sunday's game? because I you know if, if I could do it, you know if I were running the team and, and making a decision about it, I would look long and hard because the Cubs have the off day on Monday and then three against the Pirates. I would think about throwing him again against the Pirates maybe in that last game. I know it'd be somewhat irregular rest but if the guy's built up and feeling good enough if the you know if the thumb is bouncing back the way that it he feels it's supposed to bounce back he only threw 61 pitches on Sunday I I wouldn't mind goofing around with that and getting him a start against the pirates as opposed to you know some of the top guys in the rotation to build and and just get a cheap win maybe even if that's what it what what it amounts to being
1: and in- terms of yeah just building up the endurance that he'll need to finish out this season I, I I'm okay with that I wouldn't see any wrong in that as long as you know baseball minds above us think it's a good idea too um yeah how many times have we said this year is so odd you got to try things you got to tinker with stuff you got to see what works so so yeah I could I could totally see something like that hey let's see how he can close huh let's see if he can close a game yeah
0: a left-hander throwing 92 closing ball games it's <laughs> that's that's a thing you see a lot right um I want to close with this about the Cubs you know they got they got kind of uh what was the word Anton used uh, of the Reds chirpy and they're dust up with the Reds over the weekend quite honestly watching the whole thing um you know the the instigation of it is a 96 97 mile an hour fastball tight to Anthony Rizzo's chin, right? So that's the only thing that makes it different than a uh, rec league softball dust-up. Because that's that's what it looked like to me. It's guys getting chirpy, and when you when you hear the, the comments getting made, like, oh yeah, the Cubs talk the most in the league, but they don't talk at all when they're down, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like this is it's very Sunday softball to me. But I understand that a ninety-seven mile an hour fastball is enough to get anybody ticked off, especially when you're throwing at the only guy in the lineup that's really clicking for you um, consistently, and a guy that means as much to David Ross as Anthony Rizzo does. So I don't I don't begrudge him or or really kinda of any ejections from that game. But I wonder if you I wonder if, if what the Reds have said about the Cubs and their kind of general attitude toward winning and losing ballgames makes you wonder if if this Cubs team is just a little i don't know
1: too ticked off for their own good in terms of today's game yeah with with 10 runs like yeah maybe, I, maybe. I, I i thought of that i definitely did um i thought right from the get go i'm like yeah the how loud these guys are is probably really pissing off these other teams just cuz it's all right yeah hit, yeah, yeah here we go and and the other thing is they had those two comeback games against St. Louis. They nearly had a comeback against the Reds in this series, too. So they have this... They've shown it, it works. They, they've they shown they can just kind of generate this momentum and this energy that can turn into production on the field. So, of course, they're not going to stop doing it. Um, it it's just funny because it's all kind of the same cast of characters, right? Anthony Rizzo against the Reds. Joey Votto get a little vocal. I think David Bell was tossed more than any other manager last year, and of course he gets in involved with all of that too and I think it's it's fair for what David Ross was saying too about why why does our team get a warning when they throw the ball high and in um but that's that's unfortunately just been baseball the past couple of years um I know a lot of people weren't too thrilled with the officiating or the umpiring on this weekend or, or at least that game specifically but yeah, the world we live in right now is what the umpire says goes, and it doesn't really matter what's right or wrong. So that's just one of the dilemmas they had to deal with. Um, but who knows? Maybe this is this is the spark plug that the Cubs needed. I mean, it's they're still in first place, and I I almost I don't want to say I feel guilty about last podcast. I mean, I I didn't feel like I said anything that <laughs> that was that should worry Cub fans. It's just. they see what they see and they see a team that definitely has some flaws but they're in first place but I feel like they're also taking advantage of some um not as strong competition in the division right now and the record shows that um but at the end of the day they're still a first place team and they're still finding ways how to win they're still finding ways how to lose too but that's that's what I think is the biggest issue with this team is is finding unique ways to lose especially lately
0: let's play a quick game before we say goodbye Joe this is a quiz show type game it's where I ask you to name this cub over his last six games this cub is hitting 421 with an on base Jason Hayward yeah okay you got it. that'll do her uh, I was gonna, I don't even finish the numbers uh 421 498. Slugging eight thirty change with three home runs, um, and a handful batted in and two doubles and a triple. Yeah, that's Jason Hayward. Good job, Joe. Good job. Uh, way to way to win that game.
1: Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I just kind of, I you know what? I also kind of thought you know, and we haven't even talked about Jason Hayward yet on this podcast because he definitely needs to be given the recognition. Uh, definitely a guy you always feel for when he can't produce and a guy you love to see succeed. So. He's really putting it together this year so far. So hopefully he can really uh, We shall to see. We shall see what the trade
0: deadline brings either the Cubs or the White Sox as well. As you're listening to this, uh, we're probably getting really close to the deadline coming around. So hopefully you're listening to this and getting a whole bunch of excitement as Major League Baseball gets up to their trade deadline in 2020. The pod will be back at its usual time. Friday morning is our next Baseball From Home podcast. That'll be episode 12. And we'll have rosters settled for two playoff-looking teams. He's Joe. I'm Connor. Thanks for listening to Baseball From Home.